If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of BSN Rockies. And on this episode of the podcast... I suppose I'll be recapping the sweep at the hands of the St. Louis Cardinals in four games over the weekend. The Rockies conclude a very difficult road trip that really has just been right in line with a very difficult baseball season. I sent out a tweet during the game very purposefully trying to state the obvious as plainly as I could. The Colorado Rockies are simply not playing good baseball right now, folks. And and the number one response that I got to that was, it's not just right now, dude. Now, some people, when I had one or two people say, they've been bad for the entire history of the entire course of their existence. And I was like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's take the recency bias goggles off for just a minute and remember this is a team that won 91 games a year ago and all the stuff you know the drill the wild card game John Lester you've heard me run through it before but it is quite plain that it's not just this road trip it wasn't just this series against the Cardinals and I'll get into some of the details but The Colorado Rockies, for a couple of months now, for the entirety of July and August, have been among 
the very worst teams in baseball. And it isn't a terrible string of bad luck. Now, the injuries are starting to mount here a little bit. Obviously, that's starting to play a role. When you're reaching for players like Tim Melville and Wes Parsons, you're in a you're in a tough spot on the injury front. Losing Scott Oberg for the remainder of the season, John Gray for the remainder of the season, uh, Kyle Freeland for at least a little while here. Now Chad Bettis wasn't pitching especially well. But even then, that's just another punch to the gut and another option you don't have. And we've talked before about the grass is always greener problem in sports. Just because a guy goes out there and does really terrible and makes you mad and doesn't get anybody out doesn't mean that there's actually not somebody worse. Oftentimes... You know, especially at relief options, there are a lot of players in professional baseball. There are a lot of people in AAA fighting for that opportunity, and teams aren't purposefully just holding them down there. There's a real talent gap, and it's hard for fans to see when someone comes into a major league contest and just gets absolutely rocked. And you'll see stuff on Twitter like, hey, I could go out there and do better than that. And the fact is you could not. You you wouldn't you you'd be you would do much worse objectively under no circumstances could a regular person step onto a major league diamond and not embarrass themselves. Uh, it, it, you couldn't step into low A baseball and probably make contact with a single pitch. If you were out there trying to pitch, even if you're listening to this, and I mean, unless there's a handful of people listening to this who actually played professional baseball, even if you were really good in high school and you could throw like in the 80s, still, that's just not like you're going to step out onto a low A diamond and get absolutely destroyed. It's just very, very, very difficult skill-based game to play. But that said... Back to the original point, the injuries are, are, are there, but they're just not playing well. And and I'm working on a piece now, and, and I'm going to get into it a little bit. Usually I, I break down articles that I write after I publish them, but because it's just kind of in line with where my mind is at right now, and I think where everyone's mind is at right now, it's set to go up on Monday morning. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, uh, you've read it or or you can go and read it and pause this and what have you. But what shocks me the most of all of this is that this team is not fractured. And the reason I say that is not because I would have expected it to. It's a group of guys who get along really well. And they're a group of guys, again, as I mentioned, they had back-to-back champagne bath seasons and so they have a lot of good memories with each other Uh, the core certainly have a lot of trust and faith in one another and so I I think it's worth remembering all of that but still these losses haven't been 
a couple of tough breaks. One or two of them have. You you know the the games where it's been like ah really tough breaks went against them. But for the most part, there are a lot of games where one individual member of that day's twenty five man roster torpedoed the game. And it hasn't always been a collective team ever. We've seen, now it goes back and forth, and this is why no one group can afford to point fingers. And Nolan Arenado said this a couple of weeks ago, like, I haven't played my best baseball. He's made some weird and and badly timed errors as of late. And it is true of everybody in that clubhouse but it's also weird to me because typically, like, if everyone fails, then sure, there's not going to be animosity in the clubhouse because everyone can point at themselves. But on individual days, and this is added to the frustration, you as fans, you've watched every game or listened to every game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just that they lose. Now, today was a different kind of example because it was the starting pitcher who did it. So it's just, we saw a lot of those earlier in the year when Tyler Anderson was really bad or times when Jeff Hoffman is pitched. We've had the conversation about the starter just losing a game all by himself because he just can't get it done that day. And that's what happened to Antonio Sensatella today. So that's one iteration of it. Probably the most frustrating iteration of one player completely torpedoing your chance to win a baseball game is when the relief pitcher does it, the times that Wade Davis in particular has done it, because he doesn't just give up one run or two runs, the lead, or surrender the lead back to the other team. He also gives them a big, huge cushion, and you know he, he was bad again today. But those are the things, because typically in those games, the starter has pitched well, and the offense has done some things to get you that lead. Those were the times you would see Wade Davis. So when the individual player there or the times it's been McGee or Shaw and on down the line. But there have also been those days where there were some John Gray starts where he would go out seven innings, two runs on four hits, and the offense only put up one run. And we've seen it in this series again here against the St. Louis Cardinals with an offense. Now they're playing some younger guys. There's more... Daza and Hampson than we've seen, you know, earlier in the season. But still, they ought to be able to get some hits. And I know the Cardinals have good pitchers going through it. And, and Flaherty's having a heck of a season. And, you know, Waka isn't and managed to almost do five on three runs uh, today. They were able to get to him a little bit more. But getting totally shut down by these guys, one extra base hit one extra base hit four hits total in a game uh, the in the second I'm sorry in the third I keep forgetting for a minute that it's a it was a four game set against Daniel Hudson again he's having a good year at 347 ERA but six innings you only get two hits he shuts you down through that it's it's just this offense ought to be able to produce more than that so when it's not the one thing it's the other thing and you would think that would cause an enormous amount of tension. And I know there have been some reports out there. 
I've, I've read some of the things about the, the players being frustrated that the front office hasn't been more aggressive. I've pointed out that that's actually nothing new, that the players, what, Nolan Arenado came out when Troy Tulowitzki was traded and said, I wish that we would have gotten a veteran starting pitcher for him, which if you look back on that in hindsight means they would have gotten a player who would have helped them not at all and then been off the team by now. Uh, so it's it's just you you've got to remember too that players often don't think very far in the long term, and general managers absolutely have to. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say, "Hey, I wish we would have been aggressive in the past and gone out and got these players in 2017 and 2018, maybe won the division." But you know, if Jeff Breidich walked up to player X who happens to be talking to reporter Y, saying that and said. Okay, but it was you I was going to send out or it was Ryan McMahon I was going to have to send out to make that happen. And two years ago or even last year at the at the trade deadline, I think the vast majority of fans would have been totally fine moving out Ryan McMahon for a rental reliever. And right now that would look absolutely silly. So you have to keep all of these things in complete context. But, yes, of course, they're frustrated. Look, they're losing. Everyone's frustrated. The the. Players wish the front office had done more to fix some of the issues. The front office and coaches wish that the players had shown up a bit better this season. And, you know, there are some elements of that that are just on the players. They legitimately are. And the fans are mad at all of them, which I totally get. But there isn't this, I'm not even sure what the word would be, turning no one has decided, you know what, we're gonna ha- we're all gonna turn on Bud Black, we're all gonna turn on Jeff Breidich, or vice versa. Them saying we're gonna trade out Player X because he's just a cancer in the clubhouse. Like there, there just, there just isn't any of that at all. It's still a very close knit group of guys, and you, you've seen with some of the Las Cucarachas stuff that I've been doing as much lately because haven't been able to survive. Uh, these the, the, this last stretch, but I, I really am amazed by the way the team seems to be mostly optimistic about the future. Again, they, they, like the fans, would like to see the front office get aggressive and do some things to solve some of these problems. Of course, I'm talking about the core here. There, there are some players on the team who would be more worried about their jobs. Guys are playing for jobs, and that's just the nature of the business when you're 14 games, 15 games under 500 when it's gotten this ugly. That's just what happens. But I I do think it's a credit to the Rockies organization, to each individual of both the roster and the coaches, Bud Black and and Jeff Breidich. You know, they deserve a lot of the criticism they get for on-field tactics and all of that stuff is always going to be there and, and what they do between the lines but uh, you do have to give them a lot of credit for running a very stable ship and having a very low drama season when there very easily could have been much 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 drama uh, it, it's been a very introspective season for most of the members of the organization and I think that that's proper and like I said, yeah, of course there's been frustrations, but I, I, I've been blown away by the relative lack of 
or, or the complete lack of any kind of big blow up or, or big anger moment, anything like that. It just it just hasn't been a thing where teams like Pittsburgh are having these big, huge issues that are that are coming out in the press and all of these other things. And it's and it's not that I think the Rockies are better at hiding it either. I don't think so. I think they're a group that fundamentally has a whole lot of respect for each other. Uh, but recognize there are some things that need to be fixed that, that that don't fit, that aren't working right now, and that need to be addressed. I do want to get into some of the comments that I have not yet from the website, as I've mentioned a couple of times before. If you want to get your question or comment read for sure, make sure you're a subscriber to bsndenver.com. You can come on out. You can leave a couple of comments, couple of questions, whatever it may be, and I will definitely get to it. Uh, I, I want to go kind of in reverse order here, though, because this most recent question that comes in from Eric, I think, is a little bit related to what we were just talking about. So I can fit it in here before we do our first break. And he says, not sure if I got it in the Facebook Live on time, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on the positive impact of the Rockies being a family first organization. If you compare them to Arizona, Tampa, and Miami, all came into the league around the same time the Rockies did. The Rockies have been hesitant to ship out popular, productive players, but have consistently grown their fan base. Those other teams make trades all the time, especially uh, the Rays, and each of those teams struggle to get 10,000 people at their games, while the Rockies are still selling out and have consistently high attendance marks. Yeah, it'd be nice to have two World Series like the Marlins or one like the D-backs, but all three of those cities are in serious jeopardy of losing their teams. The Rockies have one of the best stadium experiences in all of baseball and are only getting more popular, but most importantly, there is no chance they're leaving Denver anytime soon. Not with that gigantic project they're building right next door. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but if anyone's been out to the ballpark lately, it looks like McGregor Square is going to be something to behold. Uh, to finish Eric's comment here, he says, I think now that they've built a fan base and there are serious, smart baseball fans that will better understand shipping out popular players and making hard personal decisions, the Rockies can be less family-friendly going forward. Eric, I think that's a great comment. And even though I did already discuss this a bit on a recent podcast, I wanted to read that because I think you're right to give them credit for having been this way when it frustrates a great number of people who honestly might not even be Rockies fans if not for this fact of the team and I think that you point that out quite nicely but I do appreciate your open-minded look to say hey I do think it's helped them to this point but there's also uh, a good argument to be made, and there are a lot of people out there making it now, that the Rockies do need to get a bit more cold-blooded, a bit more calculated, you know, not keep players just because, for example, say people like their beard. Now, I don't think that's the reason why the Rockies are continuing to invest in Charlie Blackman. In fact, I think there's still a pretty good on-field argument in favor of keeping him, though the defense obviously complicates matters. Whatever the case with any specific player, and, and I said this in the conversation the other day, I think it can go either way. I really don't think that being more loyal or being more cold-blooded is a guarantee of anything. 
there are teams that have built winners on the we grow our own, we have our own, we play money ball, and you know we just can't compete the way the Yankees and the Dodgers build their super teams and 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 do the the cold hearted thing when they need to. But then there are plenty of teams that do operate that way. And I, I mentioned specifically the Seattle Mariners who have made more trades than anybody in baseball and are less relevant over the last five years than the Colorado Rockies. So doing a bunch of wheeling and dealing and proving to your fan base, you mentioned the Marlins and Rays. Those are great examples of teams that, and, and sure, the Rays had a nice stretch there where they were making the postseason a lot, but, you know, that was it. And, and there are some fans that say, I would totally take that. We might be on the verge of that here in Colorado. If they get back there next year, this year's going to look like the oddity, right? I know a lot of people don't think that's going to happen, but we have to play the baseball games. We have to see what happens in the offseason, that whole can of worms. But, Eric, I, I, I do think there's a possibility for the Rockies to do that, to find a way to be a little more like the bigger market teams because I, I think as you point out they're becoming a little bit more like bigger market teams they have more fans their stadium experience is well known they they're bringing in more money they're about to negotiate a new tv deal they've got multiple superstar players signed to potentially career-long contracts or, or guys that, you know, with, with Nolan and Charlie where they would probably give them a little end-of-the-year parachute deal, much the way the Cardinals have done with Yadier Molina. And so they're not the tiny little operation that they sort of were once they got started. And however it manifests, it doesn't necessarily have to be trade fan favorites because just because the fans like them doesn't mean they help you win. Honestly, like you pointed out how Rockies, man, uh, excuse, Rockies, man's, Rockies fans are becoming much smarter. Uh, and and there, there's a really intelligent fan base out here. And though I often battle with the fans about their level of vitriol over the players that don't perform, the Ian Desmonds and the Jake McGee's and the Brian Shaw's, and, and I, I do sort of come out and say, that's ah, a bit much, that's a bit much. Ultimately, I must admit that the fan base pretty well identifies the issues with the team. Uh, I do think they make too much of certain narratives, like the whole they trust veterans over young players. F fans will start to kind of build little miniature conspiracy the theories or narratives about why things happen. But ultimately, the why is less relevant. There's an argument to be made. The Rockies should have played Rymel Tapia more. They should have played Ryan McMahon more earlier in their careers. Uh, these young pitchers, they should have played more. That it didn't do any good to continue to play Nick Hunley back in the day or Chris Iannetta at times or, or throw out these veteran relievers. There's fantastic arguments to be made for all of that. Uh, but I do think that, you know, fans can get a little bit carried away. That said, the issue isn't with the star players, right? That I, I that that narrative kind of emerged over this summer, and I thought it was really weird, especially around Charlie Blackman. We're like, the Rockies won't make the tough decision and trade Charlie Blackman because he's a fan favorite, and people like his walk-up song, and he's got the beard. And I was like, 
he's hitting like 325 and he's going to hit 35 home runs or you know like like it's are we t- it was an all-star are we talking about the same player like i get his defense isn't great and the contract is big but it was just weird to me when some people reached the conclusion that so that's the only one where i guess i would disagree with the fans that 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 would think that it's about that i think for the most part the fans understand that the issues aren't Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, Ryan McMahon, John Gray, Herman Marquez. We'll see about Kyle Freeland. He was certainly a problem this year, but moving forward, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, you know the names. We've said the names. The Desmonds and, and McGee's and Shaw's and Davis. And that's right. And the, and, that's not, and the problem with not being able to move those guys isn't that the Rockies are too loyal <laughs> to them. It's that nobody wants to take that contract for that production. It's the same reason you want them off your team is the reason they don't necessarily want them on their team. But anyway, uh, if, if this is getting y'all a little bit frustrated and worked up, what you can do is you can relax with a nice Breckenridge brew, the official beer of BSN Denver. We were drinking them last night at Blake Street Tavern, watching some god-awful football and baseball. We had a small contingency of us who were watching the Rockies get shut out while the Broncos and I almost said St. Louis Rams, I'm sorry, it's the Los Angeles Rams now, played uh, one of the worst exhibitions of professional football that I've seen in a very long time. I understand it was the backups, backups mostly, but uh, give me the XFL over whatever that nonsense was. But we had a great time. Uh, we, we all had a, a really good time talking sports, even though they, they weren't especially quality on at the time. There was a lot to talk about in the upcoming season for the Broncos, the Nuggets, the Avalanche, everything that's been going on with the Rockies. Uh, BSN sports fans are just the best in the world, and we were all drinking those breck brews uh the strawberry sky of course you got vanilla porters you got your avalanche amber the steady go-to a lot of avalanche drinkers i can appreciate that uh we all enjoyed ourselves Uh, make sure you check out the bsn denver events calendar to see when the next time we'll be having a watch party or a pub crawl is going to be you don't want to miss out with these other seasons getting started and with mine winding down i'm actually going to be able to come out to these things uh since i won't be you know working and and it'll be fun and and all of you can teach me about hockey and well not i know about basketball but we can you can teach me about the players because i don't know the nuggets roster very well or most of the younger players in the nba just uh, imagine my knowledge of the nba just completely stopped four years ago and i'm going to need y'all to fill me in on that but there's going to be a lot of times to drink breck brews have a good time out there uh with all of you so going to take a quick break here come back on the other side of it answer a couple more questions from the website Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only 
Are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines? You're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Winester, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums, so sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Strava Craft Coffee offers CBD-rich, hemp-oil-infused coffees. This 5280 Editor's Choice for Top Coffee Roaster is an essential part of the day, helping you wake up, fuel up, and achieve your goals. It gets me up, it gets me going. I, I'm like, I'm becoming pretty, pretty caffeine-like uh, tolerant, so they're stronger, like, so it actually wakes me up and gets me going. Get a bag of this award-winning coffee at StravaCraftCoffee.com. All right, welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Wanted to jump right into some questions here, beginning with one from our great friend Mary, who responded to an article uh, I published. Uh, we've done a lot, I know, about the juiced ball, juiced bat thing, but it, it is a big story, and I think there's some more developments uh, to talk about here. Mary brings up some really good points, so I'll jump right into the comment first, she says, has anyone asked players their thoughts on a solution to the bat and ball issues? This is, I'm sure, conversations that are going on everywhere. Uh, I've talked to guys a little bit about it off record. Uh, the biggest issue is, of course, no one really wants to go, or very few people, really Justin Verlander is the only one who's gone very strongly on record and just said this is happening, it needs to stop happening uh, other guys are more reluctant. It sounds like excuse-making. So uh, we'll see moving forward if that becomes uh, a bigger part of the conversation. Um, but I, I, I think it's just going to take some time. She also says the energized bats and balls, energized, I like that instead of juiced, uh, really swung the pendulum in favor of the hitters, and it seems to me there are only two ways to even out that balance of power, either A, Admit that changes have occurred to the two oldest, most essential pieces of, of equipment in the history of the game and work towards some fair, uniform regulations for both. Or B, come up with a list of allowed foreign substances for pitchers to doctor the ball and their grip so they will at least have a fighting chance. Honestly, I don't hate option B. And I know a lot of pitchers, again, they, they want to talk off record because you have to be super nuanced about saying, I think pitchers should be allowed to use a foreign substance to 80% of the people that hear that, they hear, I think pitchers should be allowed to cheat, which is not actually what's going on here. As Mary points out, and many, many pitchers have said this to me, Adam Ottavino said it to me on record, that it's very difficult to grip modern baseballs and this was even before and and this is an issue too with the new Rawlings ones but even before that they're slicker and smoother you know they they try to give you that red mud to to rub on them but some guys really don't like that it doesn't help them and they sometimes risk hurting themselves because they really can't get a solid grip 
on the baseball. There are a lot of dudes, most of them, who would rather throw a sticky pine tarred up old baseball like you and I used to toss around on the sandlots in Little League back in the day. That kind of, when you played an entire baseball game with one or two baseballs, like that kind of ball. But these, you know, getting a new one every time out and they're super slick and smooth and they can be difficult to throw. So I agree. Like if, if they're going to make it so that the ball's just going to fly around, at least give pitchers a, a better chance to be able to avoid the bat. And if you're going to lean into this three true outcomes thing, then lean into it and let pitchers miss a little bit of bats, throw some wiffle ball stuff. Uh, yeah, it'll be crazy. But no, I, I do. Th- I do think the best solution would be to try to uh, I don't think you can do much about the bats. Uh, they're uh, in the middle of Mary's comment. I'll go to Nick's, who says he was in Louisville last month and took the uh, took the tourer of the factory at Louisville Slugger. And they are very open about trying to create the hardest bat with the most pop they possibly can. Sent me a video where uh, they they mentioned that several times, and I would understand why you would want to. And it's hard for me to say that. It shouldn't be the goal of a bat manufacturer or of a guy who's trying to choose what bat to use that it hold its structure and that it hit the ball far, right? Right? Like, we all understand that is the point. Like, like that is the goal, ultimately. Hit the ball as hard as you can, and you want the best equipment to do that. And I don't know that there's any way to say, like, no, your bat has to actually be built a little less well so that it might break like i don't think we can do that i do think there's probably something to be done about the balls i don't know exactly what i'm not a scientist of aerodynamics <laughs> clearly <laughs> it's like uh not a thing dude uh but yeah i, I you know there I, I wish they could just go back to the old baseball i don't know i need to learn more about this and one other thing that Mary brings up that we all need to start thinking about it. Uh, love this issue, hate this issue, whatever your thoughts may be, this is a really important thing to consider. She says the issue has potential to divide the MLBPA, the, the Players Association, because the statistics of half your constituents are being hurt by the changes, the other half are not. Uh, uh, to get a little specific on what Mary is saying here, Kyle Freeland, Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, frustrated. Uh, Cattell Marte, who's going to have 30 home runs this season, not so frustrated. Uh, but So she goes on, but it is in everyone's best interest if they find some unity here. The union has expressed increasing concern about the slow free agency periods and disappointing contracts of the past two off-seasons and slowing the current offensive explosion may be one way to correct some of that in the future. As it stands now, many pitchers are seeing their stats, or the thing uh, upon which their pay is based, get worse, which causes teams to be less inclined to offer them large contracts. On the hitting side, all those home run numbers look nice until you look around and see the 20 to 30 home run per season guys are becoming a dime a dozen, which will cause them to get wise and only offer the dime contract instead of the dollar they might have five years ago i think mary's absolutely right it doesn't help anybody i just brought up Cattell Marte. how do you know if you're a team is he a 30 home run hitter now is dj lemayhew a 30 home run hitter now he hit his 31st today i believe 
That's a lot. <laughs> Not to get technical on you guys. That's a whole, like, and, and Mary's right. They're they're starting to become a dime a dozen. I was saying the other day, like, hey, check it out, man. Ryan McMahon's going to have a 20 home run year and really what amounts to his first full season of Major League Baseball. But I say that five years ago, two years ago, if I'd have said that, I would have felt 100% confident that that meant something. That is the first year of a guy in a regular lineup. He had a 20 home run season. But now it's a little bit iffy. And so I think Mary makes a great point that the players union ought to be paying some attention to. And I think that's part of why there's going to be some pushback here. Bud Black was asked on this road trip during a scrum. I, w- I was listening in, so I can't remember. I think it might have been Groke, but I'm not I'm not sure. He was asked whether or not there's going to be lobbying, particularly the Rockies because of how crazy Coors Field has been this year. And Bud Black said only minimally cryptically, those are conversations that go on in the offseason. Which, to me, basically is as close you're going to get to Bud Black screaming, yeah, this is a little bit crazy. We need to see if something can be done here. And, and I think it would be wise for people to think of what Mary has brought up here for the players and managers and everybody involved to maybe look past some of the excitement of all the home runs and the offense and maybe the casual fans getting into that and recognize that it is making it far more difficult for us to tell who's good and who's not on either side of the baseball. And it just throws the game into that much more chaos. There's already plenty of chaos in the game of baseball. But yeah, it's going to start to affect affect people's paychecks. And I think that's why they're going to try to go out and do a little something about it. Because I'd like to know if Ryan McMahon is a 25, 30 home run hitter and if that even matters. If everyone's number six or seven batter throughout all of Major League Baseball is a 25 home run hitter, maybe it, it that's it, we've got to completely change what we think of as a lot. And and I had one person, last thing I'll say on this subject, I had one person kind of hit back at me on Twitter today saying that it really isn't about the baseballs, that the players are stronger, they're all in better shape, they're all trying to hit the ball in the air, velos are coming in. We've heard a lot of this argument before, and a lot of that is true. That is also a part of the picture. But he actually provided me with a part of the argument that I hadn't thought of before. He said, I, I think incorrectly, and I, actually I'm using the gender pronoun he. I have no idea if this was a, a man or a woman who sent this message to me. But this person said, you know, if it was the juiced baseballs, how come nobody's hitting 70 home runs, you know, like they did back with Barry Bonds? And I think that that's maybe the biggest obvious proof argument yet that it is the baseball's and not some other thing, because if it was just individuals, we would see something like we saw in the steroid era, because not everybody was taking steroids. We forget that sometimes. People act like everybody in the 90s took steroids, but they didn't. So you had an unfair, or at least at the very least an uneven 
playing field. People hopped up on this drug that allowed you to be stronger and recover quicker and all of these other things against people who were not doing that. And that produced some incredible spikes amongst the individuals who were doing that. What we see right now is not that. What we see is everybody across the board, except for Tony Walters. (laughs) Sorry, Tony. We love you. Everybody else is hitting home runs. Everybody. We're going to set the major league record by over 700 this year. And this person on Twitter is right. No one's going to hit 70 or 65 or 60 because there isn't an imbalance. It's a completely even playing field, not for the pitchers necessarily, but every batter has an equal opportunity to take advantage of the juiced baseball. And that's why the home runs are up for everybody and not just a handful of guys. And it, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't think it's going to be good for baseball. I think they need to try to do something about it a little bit. And then I want to close out here on this question slash comment from Duncan, uh, who is peering way, way into the future, which I can appreciate. And he writes, I found this very interesting discussion on how 2020 is a pivotal year for the franchise. I think it makes sense to do some light retooling this offseason, a back-end starter, a reliever, a solid two-war bench bat. That might be a bit much for your bench bat, but sure. Excuse me. Uh, He says, then they can roll the dice again and hope that the 2020 Rockies return to their 2017 to 2018 form. If the team continues to struggle in 2020 and show that they are a deeply flawed team, then there is still an option to blow it all up for a quick rebuild. The farm system is backloaded with prospects like Grant Levine, Ryan Rollison, and Ryan Valade, not scheduled to make their debuts until 2021 and 2022. If the 2020 Rockies struggle, they can sell off everybody, Gray Marquez, Blackman, Story, etc., and load up on prospects for 2021 and 2022 and beyond. With Colorado's opt-out after 2021, the Rockies could trade him as well if it is clear he has no intention of sticking around. Or convince him to stick around and be a veteran part of the next core. Who knows, maybe by then the Dodgers won't be the powerhouse they are today and the Rockies can finally capture a division title. Hey, I I like the thought. I like that you're thinking long-term, Duncan. We're kind of all in that place, I think, now, right? Where we're looking ahead uh, to the the next couple of years because there's just not hope remaining for this one. But, yeah, I think all of that's right. I I, I think we're coming up on a very pivotal time, and I might stretch that window to more of a two-year thing, and, and I agree with your assessment that if it doesn't work out at that point, you should still be able to get a lot of value out of the players you mentioned including Nolan Arenado, if that's what they want to do. Uh, That's part of the reason why I really didn't buy into the narrative of they got to blow the whole thing up right now, they got to rebuild, they should have done X, Y, or Z at the trade deadline. Like, this is it. This this is the the core of the team you've got. We'll see what they can do with the role players, but these are the guys you're going to have. If you're going to blow it up, you're still going to be able to blow it up after next season and will charlie blackman have a little bit less value than he does right now or than he did at this year's trade deadline probably the rest of the guys on that list no marquez gray story scott oberg 
Nolan Arenado, they're all going to have as much, if not more, value. David Dahl, whatever you want to do to blow the whole thing up, there's going to be a lot of players to restock the farm system. And that's why this kind of panic over, the Rockies have nothing in the farm system. It's like, yeah, they graduated their team. They have, this is the team. Those are the guys. David Dahl, Ryan McMahon, Ryan Maltapia, uh, Brendan Rodgers is the next one right around the corner. But this is it. Marquez, Freeland, Gray, Lambert. Estevez, Tinoco, that was their farm system. They're all there now, and they're the ones who are going to have to win, and if they can't, then it's time to eventually trade them all off, rebuild the farm, do it all over again. Uh, But I just don't think it's quite time to do that yet. I I think giving up on Kyle Freeland and Hermen Marquez and John Gray and Peter Lambert at this moment in time is silly. That, for me, is is the simplest way to put why I'm really not panicked about even the immediate future of the Rockies, no matter how ugly and near unwatchable these baseball games have been lately. Uh, I, I still cannot convince myself that the Rockies can't build around those four young starting pitchers and then, of course, the position player core that we know they have. There's a lot of tough restrictions here and limitations it's going to be mostly the same team next year and that's going to frustrate a lot of people but there are a lot of avenues by which that's going to be just fine and then as Duncan points out here if it's not look if you were going to rebuild and trade all these guys anyway the Rockies aren't going to win next year anyway right 2020 was is either going to be a season where this core, the four starting pitchers I named, and Arnado Blackman, Story, Dahl, take the team back to the postseason and prove that this version of the Rockies can win or not. And at that point, you can still trade everybody off and rebuild your farm system and get younger and decide which players you're going to keep around. As Duncan was saying, maybe Nolan stays, maybe not. Maybe David Dahl is a guy you're building your future around at that point, or or Ryan McMahon, who knows, uh, whichever pitchers have bounced back and haven't. You assess at that time, but the thing is that option will still be on the table. That's why doing it now just makes no sense because you're not going to be immediately good by trading all of those players. There's no way to do it. The best avenue for the Rockies to win a lot of baseball games in 2020 is for them to do it with the group that they have, hopefully with some changes in some key areas, as we know. All right, thank you all for listening in today. Really appreciate if you're still listening to the podcast at this point. I know it's been a rough year, but you guys, as I was saying on a podcast or two ago, are the absolute best fans in the world because it's not about the record. It's about the game of baseball and loving and respecting it to its very core and that's why we love and respect you to your very core we're hoping that you're subscribing and and following us on social media buying t-shirts at bsndenvermerch.com all that good stuff because it helps you to be continuously awesome i promise that i will be continuously drew creaseman and until next time i will see you at the ballpark Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. 
Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more.